Hey self-lovers, before we dive into today's podcast episode, I want to remind you to pre-order my new book, 100 Days of Self-Love. After publishing my first book, The Gift of Self-Love, many of you asked me for a tool that would help keep you going on this self-love journey and build it into your daily life. This new guided journal that I'm coming out with is meant to help you do just that. It's got 100 journaling prompts that cover all areas of your life, body, identity, purpose, relationships, and more, and help you think about how self-love fits into those through thought-provoking journal prompts accompanied by little excerpts slash musings from yours truly. So you can really think of this as a metaphorical multivitamin for self-love. I'm extra thrilled about this journal because I truly wrote it for myself. It's incredibly representative of where I'm at in my life, so I'm really excited to share that authentic part of myself with you. 100 Days of Self-Love, the guided journal, is now available for you to pre-order if you're hearing this before November 15th. If it's after November 15th, then it's available for you to order. And I know that pre-ordering is a little odd because why would you buy the book before the book comes out? But here's why. It just really supports me as an author because it shows retailers that people are interested in this book, so they are more likely to stock it. So your early support, those early sales just mean the world to me. And as a thank you for being one of those early supporters, I'm going to send you the audiobook for free. And that way you'll have the print version and the audiobook version and you can follow along and have the best of both worlds. Just go to maryscupoftea.com slash journal and all the links to pre-order are there. When you pre-order, take note of your order number and make sure to go to that website, maryscupoftea.com slash journal, because there are instructions including a form for you to fill out so that I can send you the audiobook as my gift to you. You can get 100 Days of Self-Love on Amazon, Walmart, Target, or any other bookstore. And if you're outside of the United States, check out Book Depository for free worldwide shipping. Again, that's maryscapote.com slash journal, and I can't wait for you to get it. Without further ado, let's get into today's podcast episode. Welcome to the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski. I'm an author, speaker, and all-around self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that'll inspire you to love yourself. Hello, my self-lovers. Welcome to another episode of the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. Today, we're going to talk about how to motivate yourself in a self-loving way, of course. Just like with everything on this podcast, we approach things through a lens of self-compassion and self-love and really trying to tap into that place of like, I am enough. I accept myself for who I am. And because I accept myself for who I am, I can also do things that I want to do and make changes that I want to make and accomplish goals that I set out to accomplish, but no longer from a place of criticizing myself, beating myself up, comparing myself to others, being down on myself for the things that I didn't get to or couldn't get to. And I think that we all know or At least I hope that you know, if you don't know, I'm about to tell you right now that self-criticism is not motivating. I don't know where we got this idea that talking shit to ourselves is going to miraculously help us be better humans when in reality, all it does is make us feel 
like shit. And this idea has actually been extensively studied by a researcher named Dr. Kristen Neff, who has been on the podcast before. Her episode is number 32, and it's called Tools for Self-Compassion. And one of the things that was just life-changing for me to read in her book is that this exact concept that self-compassion is just as motivating, if not more so, than self-criticism. She writes in her blog, Dr. Kristen Neff writes, self-compassionate people have more intrinsic motivation in their lives, trying hard because they want to learn and grow, not because they need to impress themselves or others. And I think that that is so powerful that when it comes to motivation, it really does matter where it's coming from. Are you going to be able to get stuff done if you're using revenge as motivation? Sure, but you risk feeling empty at the end because you weren't really doing it for yourself. You were doing it to prove something to someone instead of doing things for the sake of creating meaning in your life, making yourself proud, keeping promises to yourself, really feeling fulfilled in your life. That is a totally different mindset. And I think that the reason why we have this misconception that self-acceptance will somehow make us lazy or complacent is because we think that when we accept things as we are, that means we can never change them. But it's the exact opposite. Only when you accept things for how they are is when you will finally have the freedom, the capacity to begin to alter them, to take these small steps towards perhaps a different reality. And a lot of times that different reality really goes back to how you're thinking about things. It's not always about changing a certain circumstance. It's about changing your outlook, your approach to whatever that situation is. So doing stuff for the sake of keeping up with someone else or because you feel like you have to or because you're trying to get back at your ex from high school and make them see how great you became through the Facebook, like that's just not going to do it. So let's talk about some other motivators and how to find them because chances are if you're not feeling motivated, it's not because you're lazy. It's because your motivator is not good enough. And here's how I like to tap into a better, more supportive motivator. This is a technique that we use a lot in coaching, and it's a technique of, of course, as always, asking yourself questions because questions, different questions lead to new and different fresh answers and perspectives. But this one is actually really easy and kind of annoying, but also really fun, depending on how amused you get by this kind of geeky life coaching stuff. But basically, you ask yourself why 10 times, okay? You're just going to keep asking yourself why. So for example, I want to make more money. Why? Well, because more money will make me happier. Why? Well, it'll give me more freedom to do stuff. Why? Well, I've always wanted to go to Thailand. Why? Because travel is something I just wanted to do. I want to see the world. Why? Because I feel trapped in my circumstances. Why? Because I feel like I'm not appropriately valued for what I do. Why? Because I just do so much, it never feels like it's enough. Why? Well, because I'm not working on things that I'm proud of. 
So when you ask yourself why 10 times, do you see how you basically drill yourself into a different hole and discover what's really at the bottom? It seems like for a lot of people, it's not really about the money, right? It's about doing something we feel proud of and feeling adequately compensated and having a sense of freedom. And through asking why, you're tapping into all kinds of different things and perhaps one of those things could be a better motivator. What if instead of focusing on, I got to hustle and grind to make more money, what if you focused on a different sort of motivation? For example, I want to work on things that I'm proud of. And making yourself proud is often a much better motivator than just doing something for the sake of this external result. This is the difference between outcome-based motivation and intrinsic motivation. If you're only doing things because you are expecting a certain outcome, then guess what? You leave so much more room for yourself to be disappointed if or when that outcome isn't achieved, or maybe it is achieved, but not in the way you wanted it to be. Or maybe you just, I don't know, didn't feel like it was all that once you did get there. And that's what happens when we're so married to the result. So this is one of those things that we constantly have to remind ourselves that we're doing things, we're doing work, we're spending time with people, not for some ulterior motive, but to feel good about it in the moment. That's a totally different type of motivation. And I feel this a lot on social media because it's one of those things where your outcome is evaluated and the feedback is given to you very, very, very quickly. As soon as you post something, instantly either a bunch of people will like it or a bunch of people will not like it or the worst is when it's like crickets like nobody even reacted to what I posted or this thing that I worked really really hard on and this was part of the reason why I was feeling demotivated and why I decided to create this episode for you as always it is a pep talk for myself and it is tools that I'm developing for my personal toolbox but sometimes when I share things on social media or I'm doing work I almost like get caught up in that high of like having those dopamine reactions that are very very intentional with the development of the technology that we're using, feeling that is just, it can just really get to you. And on the flip side, it can really get to you when you don't experience that. So I constantly have to remind myself like, okay, if nobody saw this, if nobody reacted to this, if nothing came from it whatsoever, would I still want to make this, write about this, film this? create this, do this, would you still? And if your answer is yes, then like, fuck yes, go do it. If your answer is no, then maybe don't do it (laughs) or evaluate why you're doing it in the first place. And I have another personal example to share related to this. I was actually up really late last night, which is probably why I'm not feeling as motivated. You know, sleep deprivation will do that to you. And even if you are sleeping, sometimes we think so much that we're always like mentally working, even if we're not physically working. Like when I'm lying in bed, if I can't turn my brain off, it does not feel like I'm resting. It almost feels worse than just being up and about.
This episode is sponsored by Cozy Earth, because what better way to show yourself love than to upgrade your bedding and loungewear? If you're anything like me and go from hot to cold very quickly in your sleep, especially during that time of month, then you need their bedding because not only is it the softest thing I've ever slept on, but it's also temperature regulating and moisture wicking. Boyfriend and I have their sheet set, which looks and feels super luxe. We got it in the oat color and it goes very well with our bedroom aesthetic, if I do say so myself. All of their products are made from responsibly sourced viscose from bamboo, making them so soft it's like sleeping on a cloud. There's a reason why Cozy Earth has been featured on Oprah's Favorite Things four years in a row, and today they have kindly provided an exclusive offer for myself lovers, 35% off when you use the code MARY35 at checkout. Go to CozyEarth.com, treat yourself to the softest bedding and loungewear ever, and use code MARY35 at checkout. Anyway, last night I was up really late. I was watching YouTube videos. I was talking to a boyfriend. I was pacing around the house. I was trying to like figure out a solution to this one problem. And the thing that I'm kind of grappling with is after hitting 1 million downloads on the podcast, I really want to like, well, for a while, actually, I've really wanted to make this podcast like bigger and better and just do what I see people doing, which is like produce it on video and put it up on YouTube and invite guests in person and have these wonderful conversations. And hopefully lots of people will listen and relate and all of that. So I was driving myself absolutely nuts with like just the financial resources that that takes and comparing myself to people. And I'm like, how do they do this? Well, it's because they live in LA and there's lots of podcast recording studios in LA and maybe I should live in LA and maybe the problem is that I live in the suburbs of Northwest Arizona and that is why I am not successful. Do you see how like brains start to spiral and they make these excuses and they come up with these, they come up with ways to justify, not even justify, but like almost to keep you stuck in that thinking pattern. So it very much is this self-sabotaging behavior because this thought process of like, I need a podcast studio, it wasn't motivated by like, okay, I'm ready to grow. I want to set up a studio. I'm feeling really excited about this. Oh my goodness. How am I going to decorate it? Okay, let's think about who we need to bring in on the team to help me do this. And it didn't feel like fresh and exciting and expanding and like, you know, just good. It just didn't feel good. It felt like I was beating myself up. I can't do it. I can't afford it. It's not, it doesn't make sense. It's not worth it. I live in buttfuck Arizona and not LA or New York. Like it just felt like I was picking myself apart for all the things, even the things outside of my control and always thinking that it's something with me. I'm not working hard enough, so I need to work harder and make more content and make it pretty or else nobody will watch, like that kind of thought process. So anyway, I tried the why technique with myself and I wrote it out. So let me demonstrate speaking it out. I wrote, I want to make a podcast studio. Why? So that I can expand the podcast into video. Why? To reach more people. Why? Well, then I can finally do this full time. Why? That'll help me get paid to talk to people about what I'm interested in and make that conversation available for everyone to hear. Why? Well, it'll help me grow as a creator and feel important. Why? 
Because right now, I feel like my voice is getting lost in the noise. Why? I don't know. I just don't want to add to the noise. I want to contribute something meaningful, even if it's less often, or even if it doesn't lead to this big thing. I just want to feel like I'm valued, like my voice is heard, like what I'm doing is meaningful. And I think tapping into like, I want to contribute something meaningful and not just add to the noise really helps me motivate myself by changing the approach. So now if or when I start building out a podcast studio and thinking about making this show into video, perhaps not only does it help me feel better about it, but it also just helps me see the possibility of working with what I have instead of feeling like I'm not enough or what I have is not enough or what I'm doing is not enough. So I'm proud to say that as we speak, I decided to just prop up my iPhone right here and just try it. Just record the video while I'm recording the audio. And I don't have this beautiful podcast studio set up, but fuck it, whatever. <laughs> like, it's fine. It feels more meaningful this way because I'm working with what I have and the focus is on my voice and on what I have to say, not on how pretty my backdrop is and how beautiful my, <laughs> I don't know, podcast studio looks and how highly produced it is. Do you see what I mean? So I hope that these examples illustrate how you can ask yourself why 10 times in order to find a different motivator. And even if this example like doesn't relate to you personally, I really invite you to try it for yourself with anything. And maybe do this with like a friend or your partner or just like start asking why more often, even when it feels like you're getting to a dead end, because it's that point when you're getting to a dead end and you're like, ah, I don't know. That's when you say something different. That's when you surprise yourself. And that's when you start achieving a fresh and different perspective and hopefully a better motivator. The other thing we have to do to motivate ourselves, speaking of propping up my iPhone and just worrying with what I have, is we have to take off all the pressure to do all the things and instead Give ourselves permission to do absolutely nothing besides the one thing that means the most to us. Just the one thing. Give yourself permission to not do all the things, but instead do the one thing that means the most to you. Setting the smallest micro goal and doing it Things like making your bed, going on a walk, starting that one load of laundry, sending that one email, just asking for something. And perhaps it's a belief. Maybe it's just a small ounce of believing that you are capable. This will usually do a lot more with a lot less pressure and more ease. One of my biggest tips for journaling, because I'm coming out with a new self-love journal. And of course, I've been thinking about journaling a lot and thinking about how, how to approach journaling in a way that's not intimidating and very accessible to everybody. And one of the biggest things that's helped me with 
journaling and being consistent and just like motivating myself to journal, which often takes the back burner, is telling myself that I'm going to journal for one minute. Just one minute. And when I do one minute, usually I end up doing a lot more than one minute. I probably journal for like five minutes. And then I tell myself that it's enough because my goal was one minute and I already did one minute. So guess what? I'm winning. And one minute of journaling per day is so much better than seven minutes of journaling just once per week. Because when you journal one minute per day, you're building a habit. You're getting into that consistency. Again, you're showing yourself that you are capable of doing things through the resistance just by setting one small micro goal. But with that, I will tell you that this can often be a slippery slope because usually when you set a micro goal, you feel like 10x motivated to do everything. So you have to also know when to stop yourself. Often stopping yourself from doing something is so much harder than making yourself do something because once you have that momentum, you just want to keep going. But the slippery slope is that we keep going until we're borderline burnt out. So the biggest discipline, I think, is resting before you're tired. You have to rest before you're tired. You have to take time off before you burn out. You have to schedule that in. You have to schedule play before you feel bitter and resentful. Make plans with your friends before you feel lonely and disconnected. Mental health requires us to be proactive in this way. So stopping yourself is counterintuitive. You don't want to do it because we've been conditioned to believe that our worth comes from our work when that is not the case. So we need to undo that. And the way that we undo it is by, again, being proactive about our mental health, doing things before we have to, doing things because we want to. And then the last little bit that I want to talk about here is our phones. (laughs) I know I'm probably another like self-help person that talks about that our phones are a useless, pointless distraction and we should all get rid of them and they are the source of all evil. Meanwhile, I do all of my work on my phone, so I'm kind of a hypocrite. And I do have to tell you (laughs) that as somebody who works on their phone, I feel hyper attuned to just the way it's changed my brain and how I think about the world and think about myself. And one thing that I've recently discovered is that phones, the presence of a phone (laughs) with all of its social media apps and all of its technological glory, phones actually make you stupider. Yeah. Studies, research from the University of Chicago showed that having a phone in your presence, not just like you being on your phone, but just like a phone nearby, reduces our cognitive capacity. There was a study done where students were asked to complete two experiments. Speak, Mary. Okay. So there was a study done where students were asked to complete two experiments in one room, and these experiments worked um, memory capacity and what's called fluid intelligence. Don't know what that means, but I trust the researchers. They were randomly assigned, the participants were randomly assigned to one of three groups. One group was told to leave their phones in their bags, which would be all left in another room. Another was asked to keep their phones with them, but like in their pocket or in their bag, but out of sight. 
And then the third group was allowed to have their phones on their desk with them while they were doing the tests, but they weren't like using their phones because they were doing the tests. And the results from the experiments were considered statistically significant. The highest performance on both tests were those students who left their phone in another room. The absolute worst performance was those who could see their phones on their desk. So it drives me completely bonkers when I see not just students having phones on their desk, although I'm guilty I was that student because back then we didn't know. I was a teen. We're attached to our phones. That's how it goes. But I can't say that I'm not guilty of this now as an adult. Like, my phone is usually somewhere close by, and it's a constant battle because so much of my work is on my phone, but I get distracted. So then. I don't do as much things. And then I feel bad about myself. And I'm like, I wasted all this time on my phone. And I had all these things that I wanted to do. And then again, that's like demotivating. It just doesn't make me feel good. So I've had to employ all the discipline to lock my phone away. And there are two ways that I do that. First of all, when I charge my phone at night, which is also when I read, I read right before bed at least 30 minutes, usually while doing a face mask or some organic teeth whitener thing, or just, I don't know, just reading a book before bed. And I put my phone across the room. So it is still in the room, although I was thinking about changing this and just getting a totally separate alarm clock or whatever and maybe charging my phone in the bathroom with the door closed. But then while I'm working, if I really have to get stuff done, I put my phone in another room. Sometimes I like lock it in a drawer, close the doors, and just create different barriers so that I don't access it. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because a lot of us are working from home, and I'm so big on doing the littlest things that give you the most bang for your buck. I mean, what is the point of doing all this personal growth work and journaling and going to therapy and trying to find different, more supportive approaches to life if there's this one black box of doom that is always attached to our hip that is the source of so many things that would be completely irrelevant if we could just detach from them a little bit. So I just have to bring that up that if you're feeling demotivated, see what happens if you get off your phone and go outside or go do something else, read a book, whatever it is. Try to find a source of inspiration elsewhere because as much as we like to lie to ourselves, Pinterest, TikTok, Instagram, they are not as inspiring as we like to believe. And lastly, before we wrap up this episode, Please remember that you don't need to wait until you're perfectly motivated to start taking action. Imperfect, messy, reluctant action will be enough to prove to yourself that you can do it, that you do have it in you. And that is what creates a positive feedback loop. And that's what further drives motivation. So consistent, inspired action often leads to pure intrinsic motivation, even if you're not intending to motivate yourself, just doing the thing, (laughs) just doing the thing, getting over that hump, trusting yourself, that is often enough to make us feel a lot more motivated. That's why micro steps, making your bed in the morning, 
drinking a glass of water, (laughs) doing things that support our mental health. That's why micro steps are so important because you create a positive feedback loop. So don't aim to change the world. Just aim to change one small thing about your world. And hopefully the more you do that, the more it'll create a positive chain cascade reaction that feels a lot less grrr and a lot more ah. (laughs) So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Maybe you're feeling a little bit more motivated. Maybe not, but cut yourself some slack. It does come in waves and it's okay. Oh my God. I just remembered. I read this quote and it said like, if one day you only have 50% to give and you give 50%, then you actually gave 100 because you only had 50. So work with your capacity. Be kind and gentle with yourself. Know that not every day is going to be 100%. Otherwise, it would diminish the significance of the days when you are feeling super motivated and have 100% to give. Work with what you have and let that be enough. I love you so much and I will talk to you in the next episode. Hey self-lovers, just one more thing before we farewell. If you've been enjoying the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave a review on Apple or rate the show on Spotify. Your feedback helps the podcast grow, and as someone whose love language is words of affirmation, your kind words mean the world to me. If you're listening on Apple, you can just scroll all the way down on the podcast homepage and at the bottom, you will see a place to leave a review. And if you're listening on Spotify on the show's homepage, there will be a little star and clicking that star will let you send in your rating. Thank you so much for listening and helping me spread the gift of self-love. And speaking of the gift of self-love, make sure you pick up my book, which is available in stores and online worldwide. Just go to maryscupoftea.com slash book, and you'll find all the links to order the gift of self-love, whether that's on Amazon, Walmart, Target, small indie bookstores, and wherever else books are sold. Again, thank you so much for your endless support. Please always remember that you are loved. I love you. And I will talk to you next time on the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. Toodaloo!